0: This is the Westbrook Community Church Sermon Series. Monday, February 19th, 2024. Rebuilding a life, expecting opposition. Nate discusses keeping our eye out to those who would oppose our rebuild. Hey, good morning. If we haven't met before, my name is Nate Hayden, and I'm the next-gen pastor here at Westbrook, which means I work with kids week in and week out. And I just want to say I get so excited uh, being able to preach on Sundays. And uh, it's such a blessing for me, too, because my dad isn't in Minnesota anymore. He lives in San Antonio. And so he doesn't get to come um, and see me speak in person when I speak on a Sunday, and he doesn't come to youth group on Wednesdays. So um, either way, when I preach on a Sunday, I send him the message. And last week, he just texted me back afterwards. He said, great message. And then he said, and now I know that you're not going to help me move. Because last week I talked about how when we move other people's stuff, we're not nearly as careful when we move our own stuff. And it finally, after all of these years, he's realized that I'm not the guy to help him move. I remember my freshman year of college. I was up at UMD, and I came home for my freshman spring break. And I thought I was going to get this week off. It was going to be awesome. And I come home. My dad says, "Hey, we're moving to a new house five miles away." And I thought, "That's sweet. You know, yeah, let's, let's yeah move to a new house. That seems exciting." He's like, "And this is such a great opportunity because we're moving five miles away. We don't have to hire movers. We don't have to get a real truck." We can just move everything in the van. And so my entire freshman spring break was spent packing the van, moving it, unpacking the van, and driving back. And we probably did that 50 or 60 times in that week. And so by the time I got back up to school, I was actually kind of thankful to get back to doing homework and going to class, which is kind of shocking. See, today, as we talk about today's message, I have one question. And that main question is, have you ever seen somebody do something challenging and said, I can do that? Maybe you're watching TV, maybe you see something on the internet, and you just see something that is objectively hard to do, and you say, I could do that. Um, I like to say that I'm a chronic underestimator of the challenges of life, which is just to say, I see things and I think to myself, yeah, that can't be that hard. I could do that. If I just applied myself, I'm sure I could do exactly what that person is doing. And there has never been a greater example of this in my own life than May of 2020. May of 2020, I saw a TikTok, and it was this girl, and she said, me and my friends woke up, and we decided we're going to walk a marathon in one day with no training. And I watched that video, and I thought to myself, wow, she can do it. I can do it. It can't be that hard, right? She made it. I can do it. And so I text my best friends. I text Jack and Dan. I say, hey, We're going to walk a marathon with no training. I sent them the video. They're like, yeah, we can do that. And I said, awesome. Let's do it on Monday. Let's take off of work and let's just walk a marathon. And that was our plan. We called it Marathon Monday. And I was so convinced it was going to go so well, I thought we were going to be doing it every week. I thought that was my new normals. We're just going to do Marathon Monday, 26.2 miles every Monday. And honestly, I was so convinced that the first time was going to be easy, that it was only going to get better as we did it more. And so on that Monday, we woke up and we started really early, and we started, and we walked, and we walked, and we walked, and we walked. And finally, after 22 miles, I gave up. <laughs> 22 miles, I gave up. I, I, I tried, uh, we were going, and yet I was just so unprepared for this trip. I, I wasn't ready for all the opposition that was going to come my way. And uh, when I told Jack and Dan I'd be using this as a sermon illustration, they were quick to remind me that they finished. They finished. So, credit to Jack and Dan, they finished. I threw in the towel, and uh, we called one of our friends. He picked me up off the side of the road. And uh, yeah. And so, like I said, I'm a chronic underestimator of the challenges of life. I wasn't ready for this opposition. And today, we're going to be talking about opposition. As we continue this Rebuilding a Life series, we're going to look at Nehemiah 4. And this is a chapter all about opposition. It's not nearly as exciting as the opposition of walking a marathon, but this opposition was a lot more strenuous. It was things like being insulted, but then it turned into threats, and then it turned into attacks. And what we're going to see in Nehemiah 4 is just like in their rebuild, they're going to face opposition, we are going to face opposition. And what we're going to see is that we can battle opposition. We can stand up against it. And we're going to see today, we're we're going to answer this question. And the question is, how? How do we battle opposition to our rebuilds? If we understand that opposition is coming, if we understand that opposition isn't optional, but that it is a fact of life, just like it was a fact of life for the people in Nehemiah 4, then how do we battle the opposition that we know is coming to the change that we know we need to make, and the change we know that there's a better life on the other side of. And so we're going to look at this question, and and the first way that we're going to answer this question is by acknowledging the first opposition that we're going to see. See, the first opposition that we're going to see in Nehemiah 4, but also in our own rebuilds, isn't going to be a physical opposition. It isn't going to be someone standing in our way. It isn't someone ripping down the things that we've built. Rather, it's going to be insults, and it's going to be lies, See, Nehemiah 4 is an entire book, or is an entire chapter dedicated to opposition. And if you open it up and you read all the verses, you're going to hear about threats, you're going to hear about attacks, you're going to hear people saying, I'm going to kill you, right? Those are big deal things. And yet, the first three verses aren't talking about anything like that. The first three verses just deal with insults and lies. That's because the first opposition to rebuilding is typically not physical, but usually it's attacking purpose and it's attacking progress. And we're going to see that in Nehemiah 4, verses 1 through 3. And so we see when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of the associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble, burned as they are, Tobiah, the Ammonite, was at his side and said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up in it would break down their walls of stone. See, in a chapter of opposition, talking about people physically coming against this wall, the first three verses are dedicated to people that were not attacking them physically. They were dedicated to people that weren't standing in the way, they weren't killing the people that were working on it, rather, they were attacking their progress and their purpose. And we see that with Tobiah in verse 3. He attacks their progress. He says, what are they doing? What are they building? Even a fox could knock down the little that they've done. But we also see Ballat attack their purpose. And this is the most poignant part of these three verses to me. Let's see if I can fix this. This is the most poignant part of these three verses to me. And it's the end of verse 2. And it says, can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble, burned as they are? When I read that verse, I think of my own life. I think of the times where I've been challenged, where, where, where someone doubts me, where someone says that I can't do something. And honestly, I think of times where I think of when I've doubted myself, when I've told myself I can't do something, when I, when I believed the insults and I believe the lies. See the end of verse 2, it speaks to all of us because we all understand what it looks like to be insulted. And, and in our rebuild, we're going to be insulted. The opposition to our rebuild when it comes to insults and lies isn't going to look like this in verse one through three. It's not going to be the same words, but it's going to be things like, hey, can he have a healthy relationship with all his baggage? Can she live by herself after all the things that she's been through? Can they ever rebuild trust after years of dishonesty? those are the insults and the lies that we're going to hear. And we're going to hear them from our friends and our family, the people that we hold dear. And it's it's not even necessarily because they hate us. It's not even because they really oppose us or, or, or don't want to see us make that change. But it's just because they don't believe in us. They're going to look at our situation and they're going to say, hey, this is just like every other time. This is just like every other time when you've started and you've stopped. This is just another fad. It's another phase. You're going to get through it and you're going to stay the same person you were. See, those insults, they become lies that we've heard then they become lies we believe and then they're lies that we tell ourselves and that's something that the people in nehemiah's day could understand 140 years the wall was broken 140 years every single day you walk outside and you see a broken wall you you have to step over the rubble 140 years you're reminded that you can't do what you said you need to do for 140 years everything in these verses is hundred percent true That's a difficult thing to work through. But in the same way in our lives, how many things are we being told that for the last 10 years, the last 15 years, the last 20 years, they're 100% true? We can't actually do that. We can't rebuild trust. We haven't been able to do those things. See, insults and lies, they attack our purpose. And they also attack the progress, even if it's just tiny, it attacks the progress that we have. See, they understood that. Nehemiah understands it, and that's why he's going to write the next three verses. And as we read through chapter 4, what we're going to see is Nehemiah will say some kind of opposition, and then he'll follow it up with the response to that opposition. So he f- spends the first three verses saying an opposition is going to be uh, insults and lies, and then he comes back with these three verses, 4, 5, and 6, and he says, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. See, Nehemiah responded to these insults and these lies. He responded by doing two things. He prayed to God, and then he got back to work. Now, four and five, that's a difficult prayer. That's a prayer that we're not probably used to praying. We we probably don't hear insults and lies and instantly think, God, turn that back on them. But we should think, we should pray to God. We should bring God in when we get challenged in that way, when people say difficult things to us. See, Nehemiah, instead of going right back at their insults with another insult, instead of trying to fix the record, set the record straight, he didn't debate the purpose. He didn't debate their progress. He doesn't go to them and say, hey, we actually have worked on a lot. What does he do? He prays to God and then he gets back to work. And in the same way, that's how we have to respond. So many times when we're insulted, so many times when lies are being told about us, what do we do, right? We return insult for insult. We set the record straight. We say, hey, that's not true. And when we do that, when we fight in that way, what are we doing? We're giving up time and energy that we could spend rebuilding the parts of our lives. We spend time and energy not rebuilding and instead fighting insults and lies. When instead, we should respond as Nehemiah did. See, a lot of times we want to trade insults for insults. But what we really need to do is we need to trade insults for action. See, we can battle opposition. And the first way we do that is we trade insults for actions. Instead of debating purpose, instead of debating progress, we acknowledge, hey, we have to do this work. And it doesn't matter what these other people are saying. It doesn't matter the lies that we believe. It doesn't matter. There's 140 years of history that says I cannot do this because it starts today because I have to do it, because the wall has to be built, because our lives have to be rebuilt. See, we can battle opposition. And the first way we do that is we trade insults for action. The second way we do that is we prepare for threats. And when I tell this story about Marathon Monday, um, a lot of people have a lot of questions, and that's totally fair. And uh, what I know about the whole marathon is that I was totally unprepared. And I know I was supposed to do it with no preparation, but I was really unprepared. And I didn't have the right shoes, and I wasn't really ready with the right stuff. I brought a backpack, but in that backpack was a charger and a speaker. There was no food or water. I hadn't drank any water the day before either because I was really trying to be unprepared, and I did a great job of it. But there's one way more than any other way that I was unprepared, and that is the route that I chose to take. All of you, as you think about walking a marathon in one day, a pretty slow pace, you probably would say, okay, we're going to take a hiking trail, we're going to take a walking trail, maybe we'll do paved, maybe we'll do gravel, but you have some kind of plan. My plan was, let's pick a destination and let's draw a straight line 26.2 miles away, and that is where we'll start. Anybody in this room already understands the problem with that strategy. There's a lot of things in the way in that 26.2 miles. It is not a straight shot. But even worse than that, the destination that I picked was a great destination, and yet it was completely impractical for what we were doing. I picked the Minnesota's largest candy store in Jordan as my place to finish. And let me tell you, if you're going to walk a marathon, having a place to go to, like a candy store, is exciting. You're tired and you're thinking, well, I'm going to get some candy at the end of this, so it's all okay. The problem, though, when you draw a straight line 26.2 miles away from Jordan in any direction is the last 10 miles or so are going to be on the interstate. And so when I talk about opposition, when I talk talk about being unprepared for threats, the threat I'm talking about is semis driving 75 miles an hour right at me. I was really unprepared. And I faced a lot of opposition. See, in the same way that I was unprepared, Nehemiah was completely prepared. The opposition that he was facing, it wasn't unknown to him. It was not a secret enemy. In verses 7 and 8, we're going to see Sambalat and Tobiah come back, and this time, they're plotting to do something. And it says, when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Shad heard the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead, and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. See, these were not secret enemies. These were not people that were jumping out out of nowhere. They were people that were stating that they hated this wall and they hated these people. And they actually talk about it in Nehemiah 2, verse 10. In Nehemiah 2, verse 10. And what they say is the reason Sanballat is so against this wall is because it meant it was good for the welfare of the Israelites. Their stated goal was against building the wall at all because it would be good for the Jewish people. So it would be malpractice if Nehemiah as a leader was unprepared for that threat. If he didn't really understand that they actually were going to do something about it. See, as we see, we have two verses where we're going to talk about opposition. And then we have another verse. And this is the singular verse where Nehemiah addresses this opposition. And it's a great verse. And so verse 9 says, but we prayed to our God and we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat what did Nehemiah do? He prayed to God and then he posted a guard. He knew that this opposition was coming. And while they were plotting, he was preparing. And he set a guard to defend against all of the different things that could come up from it. See, in our life, in our rebuilds, as we look at these next couple of months, as we look at the next step forward, we have to know that opposition is coming. Opposition is not optional Rather, it is something that is a threat that is active, it's present, and is going to affect our rebuilds. Some of you might have already experienced it yourselves. See, opposition to our rebuild isn't going to look the same as Nehemiah's. It might not be physical threats in that way, but it is going to be opposition. It's going to look like a spouse that disagrees about the next step forward in the relationship. What does it look like to move on and continue through a relationship that's difficult? It could look like friends that are not okay with your change. They like your lifestyle as it is right now. They don't want to see you become a better person or put away the things that you've always done because they like doing those things. The opposition might even be internal. It might be your own sinful nature. It might be the thing that draws you to do things you know you shouldn't do. The things that used to be so fun and now only bring pain. See, in all of these situations, what we have to do is we have to prepare for the threat. We have to pray to God and then we have to post a guard day and night. And posting a guard in this situation looks different for everybody. If you're in a difficult relationship or you don't know what the next step is, that might be time to call for a counselor or a mediator. Someone just come play referee and say, how do we move forward in this relationship? Preparing for a threat when it comes to your friends might say, hey, I cut this person out of my life. Hey, I can't hang around them. I can't go back to the things that they're doing, and I know they don't want to do anything else. Preparing for opposition to our own sinful nature, well, that might look like asking for an accountability partner, asking for somebody to step into your life, being totally honest with them about where you're at, and then saying, hey, I need you to be with me before I run into the opposition that has been a trap day in and day out. Regardless of what your decision is, regardless of what posting a guard looks like in your rebuild, what we all have to understand is the threat is coming. Nehemiah knew the threat was imminent. He knew that it was coming, and it was coming quickly. And we should know the exact same thing. We should also know that if Nehemiah was unprepared for the threat, the wall would never get finished. And in the same way, if we're unprepared for our threat, our rebuild will never happen. We will never do the great work that we have been called to do, to do what God has called us to do, to live a better life. Because on the other side of this rebuild is a life without the problems that we face day after day, year after year. See, we can battle opposition. First, when we trade insults for action. And second, when we prepare for threats. And third, when we rely on God's strength. And I'm going to be honest with you. This is the hardest point for anybody to really reckon with today. It's the hardest point for me to write. When I wrote this, I struggled with this third point. Relying on God's strength. Why? Because it's so hard to rely on God's strength. It's hard because it's an admission, I can't do this. This is too hard. This is too difficult. I need somebody outside of myself to help me. And that's a difficult thing to even ask God for because it requires us to humble ourselves and come to him. See, we are going to run into situations that seem insurmountable. We're going to get diagnoses that seem irreversible. We're going to run into problems that seem impossible. And in the same way we're going to run into those things, the people in Nehemiah's day ran into these things. Verses 10, 11, and 12 are going to talk about what that opposition looked like. It's going to say, hey, these are the unavoidable things. These are the real concerns we have, and we cannot move past them. And the funny thing is they sound a lot like the things that we're going to run into with our own rebuild. Verse 10 says, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemy said, before they knew it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then then the Jews who lived near came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Our opposition is going to look different than, than this. It's not going to be physical in the same way. And yet, it's going to be the exact same. Our rebuild is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. It's going to require our labor and our strength. And that is a difficult thing to do. In the same way, there's rubble in our way. Just as there was physical rubble for them, there's rubble for us as we try to rebuild. There's baggage. There's old wounds. There's the things that we've kind of just let fester for a while. We haven't touched and now we're bringing them to light. And that is a difficult thing. We've already talked about how we're going to face opposition, how they're they're going to be in our way, how how there's going to be things, there's going to be situations and environments that are difficult for us to manage. The environments that we're in are not set up for a rebuild in the same way this environment was not set up for a rebuild. And yet that's exactly why they had to rebuild. And it's exactly why we have to rebuild. And yet at the same time, I want to acknowledge. I want to acknowledge that rebuilding is hard. This verse from Nehemiah, these three verses, they acknowledge that rebuilding is hard. And in the same way, I want to acknowledge to you that I understand that rebuilding is hard. It's a difficult process. It's labor intensive. See, so many times we just talk about, hey, let's change things, let's do it, let's make things happen, but we don't acknowledge things are difficult. And even in my own life, When it it comes to being a leader, sometimes there's difficulties for me. I I remember uh, I've been kind of a leader my whole life. Um, I really started in second grade as the line leader, and it's just kind of progressed since then. But in high school and college and even here at church, I've had to be a leader, and I always talk about, hey, what does the next step look like? How do we move on? How do we continue to do the work we need to do? And I can identify, hey, here is the next step. Here is what we need to do in order to grow, in order to change, in order to be the organization that we need to be. And the problem is sometimes there's people who are supposed to be on your team, and they're sitting on the sidelines. And they're sitting on the sidelines, and they don't want to come do the work that you know that you need to do. And you'll ask them, you say, hey, come out and help us. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. Okay, well, what do you think? How, how do you think we should move forward? Well, I don't have any ideas. I just don't want to do that and for me that's a difficult thing i'm not the kind of guy that just wants to sit here okay well yeah you're right let's just let's just hang out that's not who i am and so i've had these struggles with how do we move forward and i've acted a lot like the people in these three verses i acknowledge real weakness things that are difficult for me and for me it always happens in the car and i say i probably look like a crazy person cuz i talk in the car exactly like i talk on stage i use my hands i'm expressive and I do not have a self-driving car. So, sometimes causes some issues. But when I'm in the car, I, I pray to God, and I say, God, why is this happening? Why is this so difficult? Why can we just not move forward? I sound a lot like these people. And yet, at the same time, at the same time, this is not the end of the story. These three verses is not where chapter four ends. Rather, these three verses acknowledge weakness. Me asking God, why is this happening? It acknowledges my weakness. See, Nehemiah knows this isn't the end of the story. That's why he includes it. He wants to acknowledge that things were hard, but he also wants to point to a better future. He wants to say that we have God's strength, it is what we can rely on. The prayers for me that start with, God, why is this happening? They need to end with, God, I need you more than I need anything. And Nehemiah is going to show us this in the next three verses, in 13, 14, and 15. He's going to show what the response is to all of these legitimate concerns. And he says, therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by the families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. See, Nehemiah in these verses is going to acknowledge their weakness and also rely on God's strength. In verse 13, he stations people at the weak points. He gives them swords and spears and bows. But then in verse 14, he says, Do not be afraid. But he doesn't say, do not be afraid because you have a spear, a sword, and a bow. He says, do not be afraid because the Lord is great and awesome. That's why we're not afraid. That is why when we, are, we have weakness, we can rely on God's strength because God is great and awesome. And Nehemiah continues this point in verse 15. In verse 15, he doesn't talk about a military battle. He doesn't say, we, we stopped them. They, they came at us and we bat them back. What did he say? He said, when God frustrated their plans, we went back to work. Even in that situation, he's honoring God. He's acknowledging weakness. See, we can acknowledge our weakness. We can acknowledge that there are situations in our life that are difficult. We can talk about transitions in jobs that are difficult. We can talk about tough financial situations where we're covered in debt. And what we need to say in those situations is we know that God can help us through those things. We still have to pick up our sword, our spear, our bow, but it's God's strength that allows us to do that. We still have to work on transitioning to a new job. We still have to work on making the steps in order to be financially free. But what we should understand is that God gives us the strength to swing our sword. See, when impossible things start to pile up on us, when difficult things start to pile up on us, we don't have to stand alone and we don't have to run away from our problems. But what we can do is we can acknowledge our weakness and rely on God's strength. See, we can battle opposition. First, by trading insults for action. Second, by preparing for threats. Third, by relying on God's strength. And fourth, and finally, we rebuild, but also we are ready to fight. When Kevin said that I was going to get to speak about this chapter, I got excited. I got excited because this is a chapter I remember from when I was a kid. And, and I specifically remember the three verses that are coming up, 16, 17, and 18. And I remember hearing this story as a kid and just just loving it, and it it was really the sermon I heard about it, but it was from these three verses, and it says, from that day on, half of the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armors. The officers posted themselves behind all of the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried the materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders who wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. This is not the end of the chapter. He's going to go on to talk about how when they would sound the trumpet, everybody would come and defend the wall, and then they would go back to what they were doing. But I love these three verses because it shows that we have to rebuild, but that we also have to be ready to fight. Verse 17 is is the verse I remember from when I was a kid. The idea of carrying materials in one hand and carrying a weapon in the other. And I remember that that was the sermon illustration I heard as a kid. I remember uh, it's, I didn't hear Charles Spurgeon say it, but Charles Spurgeon wrote an all-time sermon called The Trowel and the Sword. And so I remember a pastor that had a trowel. See, the trowel represents the work that we have to do. It represents everything that we have to do in order to have the rebuild in our life take hold. And it's funny enough, I actually have a trowel today. And so this trowel is an example of the rebuilding work that we need to do, it's an example of the methods. All of the different things, the classes, the counselors, everything we need to do, this trowel represents because if we have the trowel, we can begin to lay layer after layer after layer and begin to rebuild the wall. But Nehemiah also said, we have to fight. Remember, the sermon illustration was the trowel and was the sword. And lucky for you, I have a sword guy. So I also brought a sword. I brought the trowel, but I also brought the sword And I'll give a shout out to my friend, Pastor Tim. I worked for him a couple years ago and he had a sword like this in his office. And so when I knew I was talking about the trowel and the sword, I gave him a call and I said, hey, when can I get a sword out here? He said, hey, give me 45 minutes. So I have a sword guy. See, the trowel represents the work we have to do, the rebuilding work in order to not stay the same. And the sword, it represents defending our ability to rebuild. It represents fighting off insults and lies. It represents preparing for threats. It represents how we hold a sword because we know that God is going to be behind us swinging it. He is the strength that allows us to wield it. He is the one that allows us to protect our rebuild. See, we have to pick up the trowel because it represents the work we need to do, but we also have to pick up the sword. The sword isn't optional. I also have to remember that I swing the sword on this side because Kevin and Julia are over there. (laughs) See, we swing the sword because we know we can, because we know that God is the strength. He's the one behind us. We pick up our trowel to do the rebuilding work, but we pick up our sword to defend everything that we're rebuilding. See, as we close today, I'm going to invite the worship team up here today, and I'm going to invite them into a moment of reflection. And we do this every single week, and it looks a little different every single week. But in this moment of reflection, I think I have to ask you a question. And that question is, will you pick up your trowel, but will you also pick up your sword? Will you pick up your trowel to do the work you know you need to do as you continue to rebuild? But will you also pick up your sword? Will you pick up your sword and will you swing it to fight insults? Will you do it to prepare for threats? Will you do it because you're gonna rely on God's strength to swing your sword? See, some of you, as we close today, you need to sing this lost song. It needs to be a praise song for you. You need to remember, verse 14, that our Lord is great and awesome. That is what you need to celebrate today. And others of you, you need to do what Nehemiah did in every other verse, which is he prays and then he takes action. Some of you need to pray. Some of you need to admit to God, I am weak. God, I can't do this. I'm running into opposition that I cannot defend myself against. I want to pick up the trowel. I want to do this work. And yet I'm running into opposition that I cannot get past. See, we have to pick up our trowel because it represents the work we have to do. But at the same time, we have to pick up our sword. We have to wield our sword because we know that God is behind it. And we know that when we wield our sword, we defend our rebuild. And we're able to do everything that God has asked us to do. So will you pick up your trowel and will you pick up your sword? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you uh, for today. Thank you for allowing us time in your presence together in community. Thank you for being the God in our trowel, for being the one that helps us to rebuild, identifying the areas and then attacking those methods. But also thank you for being the God that's the strength of our sword, that allows us to defend everything that we want to do. Allow us this week to do two things. Allow us to praise you because you are great and awesome. And at the same time, allow us to always start with prayer. Allow us to always start by saying, God, we need you more than we need anything. God, in this moment of reflection, I invite everybody in this room to have that conversation with you and to praise our Lord who is great and awesome. Amen.